Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. The Get Over Yourself podcast is brought to you by Almost Heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits, ancestral supplements, grass-fed organ meats in a capsule, DNA Fit, genetic testing for custom diet and exercise recommendations, Integro Health, high-potency liquid probiotic called Flourish, Organifi, organic powdered superfoods, delicious green, gold, and red powders, Wild Idea Buffalo, sustainable, grass-fed, beyond organic, real ketones, clean burning ketones for athletic performance and fat loss. And check out the bradkerns.com slash shop page. That's my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. You are going to hit that shot. It is going to happen. Everything, Brad, in life and on the golf course starts with a picture. So when people read a putt, they're picturing the line they want the ball to roll on. If you go farther back, good players, and, and I would encourage this of all golfers, whether it's speed golf or not, you need to put out there what you want your ball to do. So you don't have to do anything. You know what you have to do? You have to roll the ball into the hole with something, with some kind of stick. And so that's the sort of mode I got into. And so I ended up making birdie with a gap wedge, birdie with a five iron, birdie with an eight iron, birdie with another gap wedge. And then on the 14th hole, which is downhill par three, kind of long, I hit my little five metal, four metal onto the green and I made about a 30 footer with it. And I, even I was just laughing at it. But I kind of went into this very simplistic state of, okay, the ball is here. I read the green relatively quickly because I have all this information coming in. And then I used whatever tool was in my hand at that point in time to roll the ball into the hole. I want to enthusiastically recommend DNA Fit, cutting edge genetic testing to deliver a personal profile that will guide your fitness and nutrition goals. So simple, you spit in a tube, mail it off, and soon you get by email the super cool infographic where it delivers all these important insights and elements of your genetic profile at a glance. How you metabolize carbs, caffeine, vitamin D, lactose, and much more. My exercise profile was mind-blowing because it revealed my genetic muscular makeup to be 54% power strength and only 46% endurance. As a lifelong endurance athlete, I've been banging my head against the wall, training in a manner that was in conflict with my genes. Don't wait 20 years making mistakes like I did. Find out what diet and exercise patterns are most aligned with your genetics at dnafit.com. This stuff used to be super expensive. It was a few hundred dollars. Now it's pennies. Not really, but it's a great deal and you get 30% off if you just put in the code. G-O-Y-30. Check out everything at dnafit.com. 
Welcome to the ultimate speed golf podcast between two Guinness World Record holders, especially Christopher Smith, the greatest speed golfer of all time, who has the world record, still standing world record from 2005 when he shot an 18-hole round, shot a score of 65 in 44 minutes at a tournament in Chicago. Yes, there are so many interesting aspects to speed golf. The zen-like experience that you have when you get out of that overly analytical, high-pressure mindset that golfers are so familiar with and just go with the flow and react to your surroundings, envision a nice shot and go up there and hit it rather than obsessing and getting too deliberate, which is possible in all areas of life. And Christopher has this great analogy uh, between a proper approach to a golf shot and the concept of getting in your car and driving down to go to the store. Now, when you're driving out of your driveway and heading down to the store, are you constantly thinking negative thoughts like, oh, I hope I don't hit that trash can. I hope I don't hit sideswipe that parked car. I want to turn with a 45 degree flexion of my left wrist when I enter the parking lot and not hit the curb. No, you're just in the flow state that the sports scientists talk about so much, especially in Kale check sent me high, the modern uh, father of flow research. They call it the zone. And speed golf automatically gets you into the zone due to the fast paced nature and the inability to ponder and deliberate, such that you're forced to rely on your natural athletic instincts. So, again, even if you're not a golf fan, I think it's a fascinating concept that might help you get into the flow like state when you're uh, working on a clay sculpture, doing any other type of sport writing a book or what have you. And I reference these experiences in my life where I have a perfect setup for uh, my morning of writing with my tea steaming out of the cup and my nice little office setup where everything's dialed in, there's no distractions, and I sit there and maybe don't access the peak performance state as well as that time when I was sitting at the airport gate with a spiral notebook and under pressure of knowing that my row was going to be called on Southwest any time, I jot down some thoughts just boom, coming out of my brain without a filter and without any formality. And those formulate maybe the most profound and valuable insights that shape the entire writing of the book. That's happened to me many times where these little accessing, these little portals, these fractals of peak performance uh, put you into that state where you're not judging yourself. You're not worried about the outcome. You're not wrapped up in negative emotions or energy depleting emotions. So this is what we're going to talk about as well as the nuts and bolts of speed golf. And I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for your interest in speed golf. And go check out YouTube and you can type in Brad Kern's Guinness World Record Speed Golf or Christopher Smith Bandon Dunes Speed Golf. And you will be amused and intrigued if nothing else. So enjoy the show with Christopher Smith. Christopher Smith, Eugene, Oregon, the new home of Christopher Smith. We just did some very heavy lifting today with two incredibly intense shows about when do we even call that peak performance getting over yourself, uh, making changes in life, getting out of your comfort zone, all that great stuff was covered. And this one, I want to cover the incredible, fabulous, world's greatest sport of speed golf, which we all know and love. And we were talking maybe irresponsibly during our run uh, about the concept that even if you're not a candidate to play, you're not a runner and a golfer itching to go try your first tournament, but just the concept of the sport 
and what it stands for and what kind of uh, representation it has when you can run through a course and get out of that overly analytical mindset and try something new uh, might be an interesting conversation for anyone. So why, why don't we try it out? Yeah, bring it. It's uh, certainly been a big part of my life for about 20 years, not so much the last couple, but uh, like with a lot of things, I stumbled into it and and uh, enjoyed both the running and the golf aspects. And then it kind of blew out of the water some of the paradigms about, for example, what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to play. And this is going to help you. And um, yeah, it might be interesting for the listeners to to take some uh, some things from that. So you're a lifelong golfer, a junior player, college player, and you're saying that you didn't even start speed golf until you're in your 30s? Yeah. So I started about 20 years ago with my dear friend, Tim Scott, just on a whim. We, uh, Tim actually saw an article in uh, Runner's World about this sport called speed golf. And uh, we were both pretty hardcore runners and, and, uh, and PGA professionals at uh, different courses in Portland, Oregon. We thought, wow, this is our, this is our calling. This is it. So we went out and um, first we played, we caddied for one another and then we played with one club and then a handful of clubs. And really what we discovered, what was really interesting is how well we played playing in that fashion where, you know, you're running in between shots, you only have a few clubs, you're ballparking distances. And really what it does is it makes golf a lot more reactionary. So you simply see the shot you want to hit, have some uh, yardage in mind of what, uh, how far you want it to go. And then you react to it instead of all this thinking and overthinking in between maybe seeing the shot and then executing the swing. Well, it's hard to convey to either a golfer or even a non-golfer that you can actually play as good or better rushing through the course and running at a brisk pace and only using half your clubs or less because we're so conditioned to watching golf on TV as the most boring and slowest sport where these pros are deliberating forever. And then we model that with the recreational golfer because we don't know any better. And we think that, oh yeah, you can allot four hours for a round or they have the sign up on the first tee. We expect you to play in under four hours. Like that's a great, you know, accomplishment. And so uh, I guess you got to see it to believe it. I would direct people to your incredible YouTube video at Bandon Dunes, which I believe is one of the greatest golf rounds of all time, counting anything Tiger Woods has done or Bobby Jones in the, the Masters, because on tape, for the benefit of the camera and the viewer, you went around the championship Bandon Dunes golf course in four under par in 53 minutes, and they did that fancy video where everything was high speed, so you only have to watch for a few minutes, and we see your entire 18-hole round round but you know, then they post the score on the side of the video where you're knocking in birdies hitting pars and just racing through the course it's a, it's a phenomenal accomplishment oh thank you it was uh it was fun to do and uh kind of a one-off shot so you got 18 holes to play and you got people filming you and it's uh it's then or never so uh it um yeah we use that as a promotional video for the inaugural speed golf world championships at Bandon dunes and 2012, some events that were uh, came to came to be thanks to the uh, the generosity of Mike Kaiser, who developed and uh, started Bandon Dunes. And uh, yeah, that particular round, I shot 68 in 53 <laughs> minutes, running around with my six clubs. Um, it was fun, yeah. And uh, again, it just uh, it it's a way of playing that's a lot less deliberate. It's more intuitive. It's more athletic. 
it's more instinctive and you know it, you know people golf is hard we all know that anybody that's listening to this that plays golf it's hard um and and in some ways speed golf is easier than traditional golf if you have any kind of conditioning because you're not getting in your own way uh you're constantly in the now in the present as we hear and uh just reacting to what you see and then before you know it you're at your next shot so there there's no kind of hanging out in the past so you have studied this and made this your life's work the insights behind these breezy commentary which many golfers i talk to and, and describe the sport and i don't think they really buy it when i report that i play as good or better when i just run up to the ball don't worry so much you get a basic yardage estimate rather than an exact range finder because again we're, we're competing in a tournament in a tournament setting you're competing with uh the score being kept with your minutes and your strokes added together for a total speed golf score. So anytime you deliberate, such as line up a putt or take a practice swing or any of those things that are routine for golfers, you're just wasting time really because you're you're on the clock every second. And um, therefore you, you just describe the altered state that you have to exist in to play. But what's behind that? Why does it work to rush up to the ball and hit a shot and actually find yourself hitting these shots that you dream of when you spend four practice swings and a little self-commentary prior to stepping up to the ball? Yeah, it's the same question I asked myself when I first started doing it, Brad. It's, uh, when, when I don't know something, I've certainly come to you with questions about this, whether it be training or health or other things. Well, then go to somebody that does. Go find an expert. And so when I first started playing speed golf and, and I had such success with it just in the golf aspect, I thought, wait a minute, this is all backwards. You know, it's not, you know, not supposed to work like this. So I first consulted uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Christian Markhart, who's a neuroscientist, developer of the Sam Putt Lab. And uh, he actually explained it rather simply, um, you know, a few specifics that you just already relate, you know, are already shared with the listeners. For example, the, uh, the yardage piece. So we know, and this isn't directly from Dr. Markhart, but we know that the brain actually works better in what are called in the ballpark concepts. So the brain doesn't really know what 137 yards equates to or what it is or 214 yards. Again, back to you're driving your car down the street. Do you know exactly how far you are away from the cars parked on the side? No. Do you know exactly how fast you're going at all times? No. Do you know exactly how much pressure you need to put in the gas pedal or the brake pedal? No. Do you know exactly how far this stop sign is that you're going to stop at in a little while? No. Okay, But you have this system, it's called the mind-body system, that works better in these approximate, and that doesn't mean it's sloppy, and it doesn't tie into what we see on TV with uh, really high-level golfers who also do not always operate best with these specific yardages. Now, for the rest of us, you'll also do better with these in-the-ballpark yardages because it then is requiring you to be less perfect. Stop trying to be so perfect, ladies and gentlemen, golfers out there. It does not help. As a player and student of the game of golf, regular golf, for 45 years and a full-time coach and teacher for the last 25, I can share with you that my experience has been that when people try to be too perfect with whatever, yardages, positions in their golf swing, whatever, it doesn't work very well. So it's not about being sloppy. It's actually about being the way we're designed. So that would be the first piece when it comes to 
hey, how do you do this, you know, without um, you know, these exact precise measurements? Uh, we're, we actually have an incredible measuring device, if you will, or devices within us all. We have a GPS, we have an aimer, we're, we're hardwired for these sorts of things. So it, it's there if you, if you can activate it and, and let it come out and play, so to speak. Uh, it certainly uh, can help us all. And uh, it, it shows that. So that's part of the why. Why does this work in speed golf? I also uh, we shared this in the, a previous podcast. But think about this. As we're going along and looking at all these things, we're, we're having liberal estimates tell us about 11 million bits of information that are coming in every second. 11 million bits per second. That's a lot. So why would I take extra time reading a putt or doing whatever when I already have this information overload okay, that is coming in? Do I really need it? More information usually creates doubt and confusion, and then I have a difficulty choosing what I'm going to do. So there again, let, you know, less can be more. And we have this system you know, that we kind of take for granted, this incredible supercomputer and then this body and this spirit. That, that can put all these things together and perform admirably, sometimes we just need to get out of its way. Right. We talk about the concept of that natural athletic instinct, that natural athletic ability, the natural knowing. And I reference that most, most profoundly when I'm playing speed golf on these long putts mm. where even if you spent 10 minutes there, you're, you're not going to judge that you're taking your putter back 22 inches to hit the putt exactly 47 feet it's it's a feel shot if there ever was one unlike when you know that you're 140 yards out and you know that a full swing of a nine iron under these conditions is going to go around 140 if you hit it perfectly through trial and error on the range or whatever but on those long putts you don't have an exact reference point because you're playing some strange they, they change the position of the pin all the time so why are you better when you're instantly uh, taking that that picture and hitting the stroke rather than being calm and walking up and down to the hole and mm. looking at the final five feet of break like all the golf instructors ask you to take in all this information. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. 
you visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero-drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five-toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot-style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Well, again, I think it's, I think sometimes less is more. And I think it goes to the way the human being, to a large extent, the way we're designed and hardwired. So for example, let's go way back, even before the funny sport of golf came around, let's go back to caveman. So caveman walked out of his cave it was usually the man, not the woman. The woman was either gathering mushrooms or taking care of the little ones. And he would go out and, and hunt to some extent. So every time he walked out of the cave, you know, was the saber-toothed tiger sitting in the same place up on the rock? No. It was different all the time. Well, when we go to play golf, guess what? It's different all the time. For those of you that have played the same course for years and years or decades and decades, that course is a living, breathing, evolving moving thing, okay? The conditions are always different. The pin placements are always different. The temperature is always different. Every day we wake up, as we know, we are always different, okay? Well, that's the way it's always been. That's how we survived. So the same thing is happening when you have a, you know, longer putt of any sort, 
Okay. Our eyes were designed to kind of judge distance. That's how caveman threw his spear and his rock to, to kill whatever and to improvise, to adjust and to adapt. It's part of what goes in wrong in practice sometimes where people set up, let's just say, oh, I'm going to work on my lag putting, my approach putting. I'm going to hit a 60 footer and then I'm going to hit a 50 footer and then a 40 footer and a 30 and a 20. I get it. I'm not saying it's completely useless. It's almost completely useless because when you go to play, what happens? Oh, look, it's a, I don't know how long it is. It's a 47 foot putt that's slightly downhill. Well, how much downhill? Well, I don't know. It's downhill. I can tell. Okay. And then it's going to curve to the right. Well, how much is it going to curve to the right? Well, I can just tell. Okay. So when people walk around, when you walk on something that is not flat, do you fall down? No. Why? Because you adapt and adjust to the slope. You can feel and see the contours and you have balance. It's the same thing. So I'm, I'm just not certain that, that at, and, and I've proven it to myself, I'd like to tell the listeners otherwise, but I'm not, I'm not at all convinced that taking more time is going to improve performance. Uh, one of the things people ask a lot about speed golf is practice swings, right? So practice swings, and I could get into the, you know, the benefits or the downsides, what's happening from a brain standpoint, what's happening from a functional MRI standpoint of somebody taking a practice swing and somebody uh, hitting an actual golf ball. So uh, I can tell you this, that the practice or the rehearsal swings, as I like to call them, because technically, folks, when you're out on the golf course, your practice is over. It's done. You've either done your practice or you haven't. So you might take a rehearsal swing. But in all the rounds of speed golf I've played, I've never taken a rehearsal swing. And I honestly don't think it's been a detrimental fact. So um, is it? can it be helpful sometimes if you're on a wacky slope? Uh, if you have some weird lie, it can be. But usually what the practice swing or the rehearsal swing does, Brad, is it elicits these conscious thoughts. And a golf swing is largely, it is actually run by your subconscious, folks, not your conscious mind. It is an, an automatic motor program that you have created for better or for worse. You created it. It's the thing that you've done the most that's why it fires. That's why you swing the way you do, because that's what you've done the most. It's very zen in its own way. It doesn't know good, bad, right, left, hook, slice, fat, thin. Why do you swing the way you swing? Because that's what you've done the most. That's the pattern that you've created, like in your life. You say, oh, why do I do this? Because you've done it a lot. So um, if you get out of the way and let the subconscious, which has, oh, by the way, all the experience, everything you've done in your life, is stored in your subconscious. The conscious has no experience. It doesn't really know how to do anything. It's the here and now. It's the part of me that's talking right now. So what do you want to rely on? You want to rely on the conscious that thinks it's really smart and has no experience whatsoever? Now, it might have the information, but information is, in, is irrelevant when it comes to golf swing. You can get information in a book. Go up to Powell's in PDX, Portland, Oregon, if you want information about golf swing. Golf swing is about experience and feel and having done it. So we're better off staying out of the way and letting the subconscious do its thing. And I think that happens more when we have less time. Why do the top professionals take forever out there? Is it Do we have a, a free pass if you're a scratch or, or a pro-level player? that it can pay off to know every single bit of information 
because they're applying such a methodical and precise approach to their hours and hours of practice? Is there like a cutoff point where we can say, hey, spend time reading the putt if you're shooting 74 or below routinely, and then everyone else might access some more potential and more enjoyment if they sped up and didn't take practice swings? Yeah, rehearsal for, swings, excuse me. Yeah, for sure. I think for, it depends on the level of the player. I think for new players that are, are kind of just getting into the game, you know, a rehearsal swing can be really useful. Oh, this is a funny slope. Uh, and I noticed that my club hit the ground way behind the ball, so I better grip down on the club. Or I have a long putt, however long it is. I wonder, you know, how big of a putting stroke I need. And usually that information is is brought in through your eyes. That's one of the sources, so of the 11 million bits of information that's coming in per second, about 10 million of that is visual. We're very visual creatures. Now, the critters on the planet, the dogs and cats and other, you know, they they use other senses more than we do, but we're mostly visual. So as most people are walking up to the green, even before you get to it, you have a really very good idea of what that putt's going to do. Now, if you don't, and we see this even with the best players in the world, then maybe it's worth taking a little extra time. Maybe you look at it from the side or from behind or wherever. What you definitely want to do is be without doubt. You need to be decisive in, you know, especially green reading and kind of trust your instincts and your gut. We now know that when people are given too many choices, they get blocked. They can't, they can't choose at all. Okay. So when and if uh, this happens to you on the golf course, reading a putt in between clubs, the very best thing to do is to completely distract yourself momentarily then come back to the shot at hand and whatever your gut and your instinct tells you, that's what you need to go with. There's one thing that's never wrong in golf, especially for experienced players, that's your gut. Now, your logical, conscious, thinking mind will tell you, well, maybe you could do this or you could do that or I read this or I saw this on Golf Channel. Now you're adding more choices. But even the newest players, they know when they get to their ball, intuitively, instinctively, what they want to do and what they need to do. I remember a round I had with you where you were on the golf board uh, following me around in the in the freezing rain in Portland, 39 degrees at Pumpkin Ridge, no one out there, the best time to play speed golf when, when the weather's bad and all the other golfers are watching out the window. Uh, but I remember uh, hitting a couple poor shots and struggling, and then I... I uh, I, I got angry with myself and you said, hey, have compassion for your mistakes. One of your trained to trust tenants. Love that. And then you started to kind of get me focused with a little golf board coaching and asking me to just uh, visualize the shape of my shot and then making a suggestion. I think on the par three, you said, yeah, just fade that one in there uh, with your with your hybrid uh, because you knew the yardage at your home course and you just gave me a little tip. But I remember locking into that mentality where all I thought about was the shape of the shot as I approached as I approached the ball. I saw myself hitting uh, a nice fade, uh, choking down on my club because it didn't look like it was a full distance five hybrid. And I started to hit some beautiful shots right on command of whatever you recommended for that hole. And it's like, you can never do that when you're playing in a slow round with your, your buddy who's a member. And he says, watch out for this putt. It's really tricky on this hole. It fools a lot of people. And you get all this doubt filling in your mind rather than making a more simple and focused suggestion to, to execute without worrying about the, uh, uh, the, the particulars. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everything Brad in life and on the golf course, it starts with a picture. So when people read a putt, um, they're picturing the line they want the ball to roll on. If you go farther back, 
good players, and, and I would encourage this of all golfers, whether it's speed golf or not, you need to put out there what you want your ball to, to do. What behavior do you want your ball to take on? Do you want it to go high? Do you want it to go medium? Do you want it to go low? Do you want it to curve a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right? Uh, most really good players never try to hit a ball straight. Most amateurs try to hit the ball straight. Now, the golf ball goes straighter today in 2018 with the equipment and the ball than it did when I was growing up in the 70s. However, it's a lot easier to intentionally curve a ball slightly. I'm not talking about big, you know, big slices and, and, and banana hooks than it is to try to hit it straight. So your straight shot is your miss hit, and it's usually a good miss hit. So it starts with the picture. The person who designed the chair, we'll go back to the caveman. Caveman probably got tired of sitting on a stone or sitting on the dirt. So somebody back then, I don't know who it is, they had an image in their mind. They visualized this thing that had four legs on it and they, and it, they could sit off the ground. That's the chair. How did it come about? Somebody had a picture in their mind. They imagined it. So every shot in golf, even if it's a tee shot, there's an ideal shot in mind. There's a picture of the flight of the ball that you want. Oh, I want it to go pretty high up in the air, curve a little bit to the right, and go just over the tree line. Okay, that's the pre-programming and the planning we've talked about in the past. If you don't have that, for me, that's a must in people's pre-shot routines. So for example, what is a pre-shot routine in speed golf? I have a picture and I have a ballpark distance. That's it. I don't have time for a rehearsal swing or I choose not to take one, don't really need one. But those first two are musts. Now off the tee, I don't even have so much a distance in mind probably. I just have a picture of the flight of the ball. And again, when you get in your car to go somewhere, somewhere in your mind, you have a little routing system, right? Google Maps, it's already built in in there. Hey, I gotta go out here, I gotta take a right here, and then I gotta merge onto this or that. You have a plan and you follow the plan now. Does the plan always happen the way you thought? No, of course it doesn't, but that's life. That's life and that's golf. But without the plan, you know, I asked the listeners, how many people have ever gotten in their car and just started driving? Maybe some of you had for like therapeutic reasons or you wanted to waste some gasoline or whatever, but no, you always have an intention and a destination. How are you going to get from point A to point B? That's super important in golf. And I think what happens when things slow down, like with a lot of things, we get away from that. So then we get into, well, let's see, where do I not want this to go? Or what should I not do? Um, as opposed to, where do I want this ball to go? And what does it look like? Oh, I want it to, you know, you're close to the green and you don't want it to roll very much. Well, I'm going to use a wedge and I can see this ball going up in the air, X amount of distance. And when it lands, it doesn't roll very much and it ends up next to the hole or in the hole. Yeah, I think when we're playing slow golf, as we call it in the speed golf scene, uh, you start to also get fixated on your score because you have five to seven minutes between shots and you want really badly to make a par on this easy hole because you should make a par because you just made a bogey and you start really ruminating on that end result. Whereas in speed golf, the funny part of the, the tournament situation is that you can't even keep your own score because you're running too quickly to get your pocket, the card out of your sweaty pocket and, and take pencil to paper. So you actually just yell your score to an attendant who's either staying stationed on the hole or is following you in the golf cart. And I know when I finish my tournaments, I don't even remember 
playing half the holes because it's so fast paced and all of a sudden you're at the clubhouse in 45 minutes or whatever it is. And luckily someone kept my score because I don't have the foggiest idea of, of what I shot, uh, you know, between a, uh, between a five to 10 stroke margin of error. So I think that's another aspect where the fears and anxieties about the end result are naturally muted because of the speed of play. Yeah, for sure. And then I think there's a couple different mindsets that we could take from your statements there. First off, oh, I should this or I should that. I always tell people you need to stop shooting on yourself. Should, it, should is somebody else talking. It's not you. So there is no shoulds. I should make par here. I should make this putt. I should shoot this score. Really? According to whom? So stop shooting on yourself. Secondly, the arguably the greatest coach of all time and one of the winningest coaches of all time. So if winning can equate into, if we equate that into shooting a low score, never talked about winning. That would be John Wooden. He always emphasized there's a difference between being successful and winning. So never did he go into a game talking about winning the game. So I would recommend people stop thinking about uh, shooting a score. Oh, I should shoot this score. So what's your definition of success? Wouldn't have his, you know, in a nutshell, try your best, try your hardest, do your best. And his, his, that would uh, be define success. His quote about, about that was uh, worrying about the scoreboard is a big mistake. Focus on the perfect execution of every possession. So now we're taking this to golf and thinking about that horrible shot that we just hit. And now we're angry and frustrated and stressed. And instead of punching out into the fairway, we're going to try to hit a miracle shot to make up the stroke. Or we're still carrying the frustration of a past experience with us. Uh, and then starting to add up our score in our mind and, and getting that stress and tension and anxiety. So that I think freeing yourself from that because you're going so fast and you don't have time to ruminate on a bad shot is another yeah. advantage to playing quickly. For sure. It keeps you in the present. I mean, in letting go of the less than perfect shot. And oh, by the way, people, next time you stand on the, on the first tee getting ready to play, let me tell you something. You are going to hit bad shots. It is going to happen. That is not a negative way to think. Like I said, you want positive planning and programming for every shot. Every shot starts with a picture. What do you want? Put it out there. If you don't put it out there, uh, beware. Because if you don't put the intention out into the universe for what you want with your golf ball or what you want with your life, uh, somebody else will take control of it. So you do need to put it, that out there. However, uh, getting the golf ball to behave the way we want it to is an incredibly complicated task, even for the best players in the world. So when you do hit a bad shot, you know, it might be a poor drive that goes way offline. Uh, it might be a chunked iron shot that you hit the ground before you hit the ball. It might be a, a short missed putt. It's going to happen. So rather than getting uptight, uh, disappointed, frustrated, turning into a drama king or drama queen, why don't you just say, hey, cool. Yeah, that happened. I wouldn't necessarily say you have to accept it, but you do and adjust and adapt and move on. And like you said, Brad, one of the cool things about speed golf is the less than perfect shots Okay, uh, they're just in a matter of seconds, literally, you're going to be at your next shot. So instead of having to wander around for 7 to 10 to 15 minutes, stewing in the last, you know, mishit shot, uh, and there are, there are alternatives to that too. We can train ourselves to, to, you know, respond a little bit more positively to those shots, but it's quicker. So you're upon your next shot. 
but it shouldn't surprise anyone. All you have to do is watch golf on TV. Those are the best players in the world, and the ones that are on TV happen to be playing very well that week, by the way. You don't see the people that are missing the cuts. Oh, we forgot about that. So You also don't see the bad shots, which was so amazing to me when I watch a tournament live versus on TV. These guys hit some sorry-ass shots where you're like, horrible. holy crap, what a bad shot that was. And then what they do is they're, they're behind the trees and they, they shape a shot around the trees onto the green. And, and it, says, it says par on the scorecard, but you're like, wow, what an adventure that guy had on the hole. But they, they're good at keeping their cool. I like that. Adjust, adapt, and move on. And the other podcast that we recorded uh, were deep into that and how to manage those emotions and reprogram the, the nervous system so that you get good at that. Uh, I think we we ignore that objective in, in favor of working more and more on the technical aspects of golf. And I, I guess that's part of the magic of speed golf as well, is that for me anyway, the breakthrough occurred when I just thought about the target and shaping the shot and the general distance instead of the fact that when I want to fade something, I want to take my club back a little outside the line with a slightly stronger grip and all those things that I believe, in, in my case at, at least, mess me up when I'm playing regular golf. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, there's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want, into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. <laughs> Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you, of course. It's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits. 
you will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website, gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner buy six treatments and get one free yeah for sure and we've you know we've gotten into the phase here in modern golf instruction where we've come across some relatively and i say that uh relatively uh, accurate measuring devices uh that will tell us certain things about uh, everything from the way the ball is flying to the way the club is moving to the way our body's moving. And they're, they're only somewhat accurate, which is neither here nor there. However, uh, getting the golf ball to behave, getting it to curve, getting it to go the right distance, it's really, it's a little bit more complicated than this, but not so much. So if I gave somebody a ball and I asked you to throw the ball some distance high, most people know how to do that. Now, and then I said, well, throw it some other distance kind of medium and then throw it another distance kind of low. So you've just changed the flight of the ball. Now, did anybody think about the angle of their elbow, their arm, their wrist, where their pressure was, where their uh, force vectors were, what the plane of their arm? No. Well, how did you how did how did you do it then? It's amazing because you've learned how to throw. And I gave you a picture. I gave you a task, throw the ball here at x trajectory at x height and you can do it. So how is that any different from hitting a golf ball to a certain distance with a certain flight? Now, the difference is, is most of us can only throw a ball, I don't know, 20, 30 yards at the most, depending on what kind of ball it is. A golf ball can go up to, you know, we see this now up to three, 400 yards for some of these people. So there's a few more variables going on. Nonetheless, at the end of the day, somebody will say, well, I, I, know, I know what it feels like. I know how to toss. I know how to throw. And all I do is have a picture in my eye, uh, in, I, in my mind, and I react to that picture. So that's kind of what's happening uh, with speed golf. It's just that having a little tiny golf ball and a weird-looking stick in your hand with an odd head at larger distances, it's a little more complex. So tell me about your competitive experience, the tournament scene, and how, how it works out there with the staggered start and uh, some of your favorite tournament memories, too. I know we've had some great world championships in recent years, and the speed golfers would gather annually for these big tournaments. We know it's not a huge participation sport, uh, but it seems like the people who are involved are very passionate and have locked into something special, especially since uh, the game of golf is struggling due to high expense high time commitment and extreme degree of difficulty that can discourage a lot of players where we have answers to all those objections. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think speed golf to me, to me, it's been a big part of my life for 20 years. And yet, however, I will still, even as the Guinness world record holder currently still in speed golf and with all my background in speed golf, and uh, there's still a ton of people that have never, ever heard of speed golf. So, and also being in the golf industry, 
we just take for granted that people know what golf is. Well, here's another you know startling insight. Golf itself, just golf, normal golf, slow golf, is a niche sport. So where does that leave speed golf? Well, it's a hyper niche sport. Uh, it's a handful of people that play that are super passionate about it for sure. It's really fun. Uh, it's incredibly difficult to find the opportunities to play because there cannot be anybody in front of you on the golf course. So it's either really late, really early. So I don't, I don't see it as this burgeoning, booming piece. Uh, I, I thought for a while it might be. Um, that being said, you know, it's a heck of a lot of fun. You can get a really good workout in. You can work on your golf and your fitness. So, um, yeah, I've played just so many rounds of speed golf that it kind of stick in my mind, fun tournaments, different conditions, uh, the camaraderie. It's kind of an interesting, yeah, it's certainly a, the hyper niche sport. You get some, some interesting characters playing speed golf and not of them, not all of them are necessarily very good golfers or very strong runners, which is interesting. It's just people that want to try something different. So, uh, I think probably the one of, you know, funny speed golf story. I was the the lead teaching professional at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club in just outside of Portland, Oregon for 18 years. I was there from 1999 until this year when I came to Eugene Country Club. So I spent most of my time at Ghost Creek, which is the public side, wonderful golf course, um, championship venue. So I've literally played thousands of rounds on that golf course. But to this day, uh, the lowest score I ever shot on that golf score was in 2001. I remember it was just a bleak January, cold, horrible day in Portland. And I felt like playing speed golf, which, by the way, I don't like playing in rain and cold, but I don't mind playing speed golf in rain and cold because it warms you up. Anyway, Ghost Creek is a is a par 71 uh, and I played it from the blue tee. So it was playing long, you know, that day, probably 6,600 and the ball was going nowhere and rolling nowhere. And I shot 66 in 48 and a half minutes. So in many ways, if I think back, maybe my best ever round of golf, and it wasn't in a tournament, uh, the uh, world record uh, feat was, that was at the Chicago Speed Golf Open in 2006. But yeah, that was a fun memory. Um, and, so that's uh, the 66 and 48. So your speed golf score is 114, adding 66 and 48. Yeah, about that. Now, didn't you have another wild time out there where you had some little game where you're using the last club you hit and mm. we're, we're playing with the six iron and knocking in putts or something like that. Yeah. One of the days I, I was fortunate to be able to play a lot out there, you know, in working there is sometimes at the end of my teaching day, I'd notice that the golf course was pretty open and I think, wow, this is perfect. So I'd bring my stuff up and, uh, basically speed golf. We play in a golf shirt and, uh, golf shorts and then some running shoes normally. And, uh, I, kind of hurriedly put my things together after the, uh, after the work day, uh, threw my things into my little speed golf bag and, uh, realized that, and teed off and realized when I got to the first green that I'd forgotten my putter. And so I thought, well, I'll just run back and get it. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to keep going. And so I kind of just decided myself that that day, whatever club I hit onto the green, I would putt with. And this is a really a great example, folks, of, our ability to adjust and improvise and solve problems. We are designed to solve problems, which is hard to believe because we see how many problems people are creating on the golf course, in golf instruction, in the world, in politics and everything. Anyway, so I go around the front nine and, you know, I'm kind of enjoying it. And, you know, I'm skilled enough that I'd actually putted with my driver and my little four wood 
and my five iron and my eight iron and my gap wedge. So those were my remaining clubs. My putter was sitting in my office. And I got to the back nine and I proceeded to make, let's see, I birdied 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. So that's five holes in a row, all with different clubs. And I, I was just flabbergasted to some extent. And I remember when I got done with that round, I, uh, I actually emailed uh, Dr. Markhart, who I mentioned earlier in the episode. And I said, Christian, how did this happen? And he explained it very simply, just what I shared with you, you know, that the task at hand when we're putting and nobody can argue this. And, and we've really gotten into quagmires with puttings about the right way to do it. And this, you have to do this and you have to do that. So you don't have to do anything. You know what you have to do? You have to roll the ball into the hole with something, with some kind of stick. And so that's the sort of mode I got into. And so I ended up making birdie with the gap wedge, birdie with a five iron, birdie with an eight iron, birdie with another gap wedge. And on the 14th hole, which is downhill par three, kind of long, I hit my little five metal, four metal onto the green, and I made about a 30 footer with it. And I, even I was just laughing at it. But I kind of went into this very simplistic state of, okay, the ball is here. I read the green relatively quickly because I have all this information coming in. And then I used whatever tool was in my hand at that point in time to roll the ball into the hole. So um, it was fun. Uh, it was interesting. I always, you know, learn from these things. And uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't often... Uh, in all my years, I can't remember the last time, even recently, I've made five birdies in a row with my putter. Right. I think we're talking about an amazing example of accessing a, a supernatural, superhuman plane by, by all accounts. And I always reference Reggie Jackson in the 1981 World Series where he came up to bat and three times on the first pitch hit it out of the park. So he took three swings and hit three home runs in the World Series, the biggest stage. And it's like something was going on between him and the pitcher and the universe where he was getting that bat onto the ball on the first swing and the likes of which we'll never see again. And you can make these uh, other occasions where uh, Wade Van Niekerk in lane eight in the Rio Olympics took off from the gun. And you can watch this guy on YouTube and he's sprinting from the gun for a 400 meter, not a hundred, a 400 meter destroys a world record without seeing another athlete, no one to key off, which we all know is so important in sprinting. Uh, but I think for some reason, if, if the magic comes together, like it did for you that day on the golf course, we elevate to a higher plane. That's, it, it might be an attempt to explain it from the world's mm -hmm. leading brain scientists, but it's in another way, it's inexplicable. And it's, it, it starts with getting out of your own way. And I think uh, just to try to offer some speculation, I know what I've experienced with my my single hole world record and putting with that three wood is when you're lining up a putt with a three wood, all I'm thinking about is making clean contact with the ball because it's so difficult because it's not a freaking putter that has a nice straight edge that you can usually make clean contact with the ball while you're fooling around thinking about your wrist angle. So I was completely fixated on a simple goal of just making contact with the ball. And that's probably a great way to think about putting at all times. Yeah, for sure. I think people, sometimes when the task is more demanding, Brad, that people's focus goes up. And if we could all have more focus uh, more concentration to the point that it allows us to perform. Sometimes we try too hard. Uh, trying too hard doesn't necessarily equate into, you know, better performance or better work. But there is a, a focus piece that puts us in a, in some state, some people like to call it the zone. I guess if we knew enough about the zone, then we'd simply be able to, 
you know, flip a switch and we could just get into it all the time, couldn't we? But we can't, and no one's ever done that. We've seen great performers get into the zone, but it's usually quite temporary. So I think as we move along, I think it's a uh, it's an interesting cocktail. It's uh, you know, what is going on. I think there's an intention piece as well. I mean, I didn't go out with the intention of birding five holes in a row with different clubs. So there is a high focus. I'm going to put out there what I want, picture what I want, and then I'm going to allow it to happen. But sometimes when we try too hard, that doesn't happen too well either. Or things don't, you know, pan out the way we want. So uh, there's a fine balance there that we're still, you know, still discovering. Yeah, I can reference, let's say, my goals in writing something special, and I'll go make my herbal tea and block off the morning hours and sit down at my desk with a beautiful view of the outside and everything's quiet and my phone's turned off. And then you sit there and fritter around and go over to YouTube and type in Christopher Smith Band and Dunes and see that that viral video with 70,000 views of some guy burning the course up at four under in 53 minutes. But And then... I, I can reference many times when I'm sitting in an airport gate waiting for the B group to be called because I didn't qualify for A-list this year on Southwest. Terrible tragedy. But I'm, I have a, a, a pen and a notepad and I'm scribbling some ideas or trying to, uh, you know, get focused on something that I'm, I'm supposed to write about. And that single piece of paper, two sheets of paper that took me 12 minutes to write, and then I have to get up and get in line. So I'm feeling a little pressure that they're about to call my group. And something comes out mm. that's accessing that flow-like state, whether it's the pressure and the short duration where I know that I only have a few minutes to get something down. Uh, those things seem to, seem to help me. And that's kind of a strange uh, example because we were always trying to create these ideal peak performance circumstances like buy the best putter because this new $370 one uh, has a weight balanced face that's been tested in the laboratory to hit smoother putts. And then you hold this beauty in your hands and your, your hands start to shake because uh, you're, you're thinking about it too much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think some of the revelations we've had in uh, in performance have spoken to balance in the brain, what we call synchrony, where all the different hemispheres and all the different parts are kind of aligning with themselves. Is that something we can train? It is. Is it mm -hmm. something that we stumble into? Like most people at some point in your lives, in something you have stumbled into the zone. And it might be a biochemical thing. It might be an expectation thing. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it happens when you're really not trying so hard. You know, you think about the things that people have discovered while they're singing in the shower or doing really leisure-like activities. And perhaps that, and I think everybody's a little different. Perhaps that's when a lot of people really come to epiphanies or discoveries when they're in a state where there maybe isn't a lot of stress or anxiety or have to, or a deadline or I have to get something done. So I think we all operate a little bit differently just in performance, like in many things. And what's important you know, what's really important for us all is to find, hey, how do I operate the best, whether it's, you know, on the golf course, in the workplace, in life, what's going to work best for me? And it's probably not what works best for the person standing next to you on the driving range or, or the person who lives next door to you. And that's okay. Yeah, there might be some commonalities like lowering your expectations and focusing on the process is probably a nice way to get the best out of yourself and not uh, choke and, and do all these things. And I mean, the best example is like underdogs in sports. They win all the time. That's why Vegas has beautiful sports books because they take your money because they know that, uh, you know, it's not always going to be a predictable result. Yeah, for sure. And that's the beauty of a game. 
You know, there's there's some things that are more predictable than others. And, you know, in sport and performance, to some extent, you can predict it. And there are, you know, elite performers. And then there's a lot of randomness and chaos that jumps into our lives. It jumps into our golf swings and to onto the golf course. Um, and, and those things really need to be embraced rather than dreaded. Well, I didn't see that coming. Well, there's a lot of things we don't see coming uh, in our lives. And the question is, is how do you want to respond to it? That is your, that becomes your choice, how to react to it, how to respond to it. So if someone's interested in accessing this magic of speed golf, what's a great way to just test it out, try it out a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people are intimidated wanting to get into it uh, as far as, oh, I have to play 18 holes and I'm not in good enough shape and I can't, there's no golf courses. You know, when I first started myself, I took one club, just take one club and go uh, play a couple holes. How's that? You know, you could run walk. You don't even have to run. Just play a few or take a handful of clubs, you know, five or six or four clubs and do it that way uh, and kind of wean yourself into it where you're just playing a few holes and it's not, you know, physically exhausting or intimidating. And, you know, do as like we've talked about is hit your tee shot, have a picture in mind. I usually run, you know, there's usually some kind of yardage reference out on the golf course. There's, you know, uh, yardages on sprinkler heads or there's a 150 yard, you know, marker or a stake or a bush. And then you kind of ballpark how far away you are. And then you also have to look to see, well, where is the where's the hole located on the green? So all you're doing is activating this incredible system, this mind body system that's run by the supercomputer that's sitting on everybody's shoulders to come up with, oh, it's about 160 yards away and I'm going to hit my whatever with some flight in mind. So it's really incredibly simplistic and incredibly effective. Speed golf, go try it out. Model the same ideals in any peak performance endeavor, which is getting out of your head and the over analytical mindset and just go with the flow. Thank you for giving us that insight about this wonderful sport, Christopher Smith. Thanks, Brad. Always fun to shout about speed golf. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves because they need to. Thanks for doing it. This is Brad. I want to tell you about my life-changing acquisition of a personal home-use sauna. I have a 6 by 6 barrel sauna in my backyard, ready-made heat therapy, a fabulous unit from Almost Heaven. Check out their website. You can very affordably order your own sauna for installation in your backyard or garage and have 
a sauna experience, the fabulous health benefits accruing from exposure to hot temperatures. Get that sweat going. These are beautiful, traditional dry barrel saunas where you splash the water on the rocks. Go in there and relax. It's become a social centerpiece at my home. People traveling from far and wide to come check out the barrel sauna, turn the dial or set the timer and walk in to 200 degrees in the Caribbean seas. For some reason, people like to come to the sauna more than my cold tub. Go figure. Check out almostheaven.com and their beautiful natural wood designs. And pretty soon, surprisingly affordable, you will be in the home sauna business.